Welcome back to America Speaks. Marcia Maeda has been the Director of Animal Care and Control for the County of Los Angeles since July 2001. She is a certified animal welfare administrator. Marcia grew up in Highland Park, Illinois, as a staunch animal lover since childhood. And Marcia always knew her life's work would center on animal care and protection. In 1982, Marcia attended Western Illinois University, where she majored in animal science. It was while attending college, Marcia discovered how her passion for animals and knowledge was giving her an opportunity to consider this as her career path. In 1984, Marcia was told there was an opening for a part-time position at the local animal care center. Upon graduation, she took a job as an animal cruelty investigator with the Houston Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals in Houston, Texas. This was her first exposure to intentional and negligent cases of animal abuse, responding to approximately 20 complaints of animal abuse each day. Since that time, Marcia has maintained a strong commitment to preventing and prosecuting cruelty against animals. In 1989, Marcia joined the Helping Hands Humane Society in Topeka, Kansas as its executive director. She went on to work for the Humane Society of Santa Clara Valley in Santa Clara, California as the new director of animal care. In 2001, Marcia was recruited by the County of Los Angeles to become the new director of the Department of Animal Care and Control. She joined Los Angeles County and since then has overseen the largest animal care and control agency in the United States, providing 24-7 animal control services for all unincorporated Los Angeles County and 47 contract cities. Marcia, it is such a privilege today to have this opportunity to have you on our Thanksgiving episode devoted to shelter pets. And I also want to welcome Joan Scotchamora, who has produced this segment with me and has been in rescue, saving lives of dogs and cats and animals for over 30 years. This is the beginning of a series of conversations to really inform the public about our companion animals that find themselves in the shelter system. So with that said, welcome to America Speaks, Marcia. Thank you so much, Trish. It's great to be on the show. It is just daunting the role that you have with the enormous size of both responsibility and shelter staff that you operate every day. But just tell our listeners, how many shelters are you the director of in LA County? And approximately what is the size of your staff? Uh, Tish, we serve all of unincorporated Los Angeles County, as well as 43 cities that contract with us for service. So we have seven animal care facilities located throughout the county so we can serve the different areas. As you know, LA County is very large. It's about 4,200 square miles. So we need to have that many. So there's enough care centers in different locations so people can get to them quickly and the animals as well. And we have a little over 457 staff. 
Wow, that is just remarkable. And is there a way our listeners can get a sense of the financial responsibility you have? What is the approximate cost of running the entire department? Is there a figure? Well, yeah, I can tell you our budget this year is $57 million. Wow, that is a lot to wrap your head around. $57 million each year, correct? Well, that's for this year. Uh, it goes up slightly each year with the cost of living and salary increases and so forth. Well, you know, I don't think people can really appreciate the enormity of this because you're responsible alone for securing those funds, right? Well, you know, as director of the department, I am responsible for the budget and for getting resources to run it. But a lot of it is paid for through our contracts for service with the cities that hire us to do that. We also get some revenue from the cost of adoptions or reclaim fees, but also the majority is really from the county's general fund, which is tax money. And so are there any additional grants that you can look to receive each year? We actually do get a, quite a bit of grants that we're very, very grateful for. Uh, the ASPCA has provided a lot of grant funding to supplement our services. We've also received grants from the Annenberg Foundation's Pet Space, um, PetSmart, and Petco Charities, and other locations. We also have our own nonprofit supporting organization called the Los Angeles County Animal Care Foundation, and they raise money exclusively to support the department and our animal enriching programs. And they just do a tremendous job um, funding medical care, grooming expenses, emergency response, adoption efforts, and a lot of other things to help improve the outcomes for animals that come into our care centers. Well, I actually have read a little bit about that, doing extra research on you, and it's really a wonderful foundation. Is that a 501c3 foundation? Yes, it is. It's a 501c3. Although it operates exclusively to support our department, it's not controlled by the department or the county. So uh, people can donate knowing that this independent volunteer board of directors will be making funding decisions solely on behalf of the animals. They're just wonderful people. They do a really great service to the animals of LA County. I think it becomes a part of the fabric of, uh, you know, your heartstrings when you become aware of the world of shelter pets and what you deal with every day. And I don't think that most people can appreciate just the layers of not just responsibilities, but what it takes to be as devoted as you are. Where did this devotion come from? Well, you know, it's just been with me since birth, I think. There was never a moment where I said, you know what, I think I like animals. It was just always there. And I was looking back on some of my old childhood pictures and stories and stuff, you know, that your parents saved. And every single one had to do with animals, all my drawings, all my stories. And I just can never remember a time when animals weren't my primary focus of passion and interest. I think it becomes infectious once you open the door to those animals that find themselves without homes or are in difficulty or need our help. It's really hard to shut that door again, don't you think, ladies? 
Absolutely. When I got into this, I was pulled into it when I was at Fox, just helping somebody rehome a chow. And the next thing I knew, I was helping chows and I was helping network dogs. There's nothing better than feeling you've had a hand in saving a life. So that said, I want to just bring you back, Marcia, to a memory that I think you'll appreciate. I also photograph for the veterans, and I've spent quite a lot of time down at the Board of Supervisors, and they used to bring a, a dog into the meetings, a dog that needed adopting. Do you remember that, Marcia? Oh, yeah. They're still doing that, too. It's a fantastic program that Supervisor Antonovich started many years ago, and they just call it the Board Pet Adoption Program. And every week, our staff brings, now they're bringing both a dog and a cat each week. Now that Supervisor Antonovich is retired, the new supervisor for the 5th District, Catherine Berger, continued the tradition that Supervisor Antonovich had begun and she features a dog and a cat each board of supervisors meeting. These are televised as well. So not just people in the audience or people that work at the Hall of Administration see the animals, but they're broadcast on TV. And I think it's a great way to show people what wonderful animals we have at the animal care centers in case they're looking for a pet or know somebody who's looking for a pet. Absolutely. So this is my first time I'll say this today, but be prepared. I'm going to say it throughout the interview. Do not go purchase a pet, please. If you are looking for a family member with four legs, that's furry, go to your local animal shelter, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to get an idea of how LA County provides assessments and playgroup notes for each of the animals that you do take in. What I love about LA County is I think they get an opportunity to get out of the kennel occasionally, and that's because of your volunteers, right? Yeah, absolutely. We started our behavior and enrichment program about two years ago. We are finally at the place where we were able to expand to add this really critical program to our operations. And what this program does is improves the emotional and behavioral opportunities for the animals by reducing stress and applying the most modern proven methods of evaluating animal temperaments. And this is to not only make sure the animal is being provided all the enrichment that it needs in the animal care center, but also allowing us to get to understand the animal's personality better so we can make the best placement for that animal into a new home where it's going to be a successful partnership. That's so important, though. I really want you to unpack this a bit because I feel that what happens is people don't take seriously enough when they bring a living thing into their home. Right. Sometimes people just fall in love with an animal because they see a, a picture of whatever breed or type it is and they want one or they see somebody with one. And, you know, sometimes people get animals that really aren't suited for their knowledge or level of experience or mm -hmm. lifestyle. I know you're very familiar with Huskies. You do a lot to rescue and advocate for Huskies, Siberian Huskies. And as you know, dogs like that um, need a lot of exercise. They need somebody who knows how to handle a dog that's a little more independent and perhaps strong-willed. And Lassie, um, that's going to just do everything they want, are disappointed and frustrated and they give up on them 
or they have escapes. As you know, huskies are very good at jumping fences and getting out of yards. They were bred to pull sleds all day. They like to run and have exercise. It's just natural for them. And of course, then they wind up at the animal care centers. So that, that would be an example, maybe a new dog owner who's never had one before. I don't know that a husky is the best starter dog for them. No, and I want to reiterate something when you said, of course, they end up in animal control. And the problem with this particular breed, which I'm familiar with, I have a Malamute, they don't do well in confinement, which makes them kennel stressed and makes it harder on the shelter of itself to keep them. And so I want to get a sense of how you assess. I know LA County is unique in that you do have a temperament test that you uh, give every is it every dog and every cat that comes into your facility? No, we've modified it a little bit. Uh, right now, what we're doing is with the dogs using the playgroup model to understand their behavior, we've learned that that gives us a much better picture of the dog's behavior than doing a standard temperament assessment. We're getting false positives on the temperament assessment, the old tool, as far as dog-to-dog aggression, for example. And what we learned is really they were just barrier protective or leash reactive. But really these dogs, once they're in a play group, get along fine with other dogs. So that was really wonderful for us to learn because now we have more options for these dogs as far as placement. We don't have to be that concerned about how they're going to react with other dogs because we then learned, okay, they're just not good on a leash when they see another dog. And that's not that uncommon. Um, my golden retriever is like that, but awfully she's fine, probably fear-based. Um, but anyway, uh, using our play groups, they get a much more robust picture of the dog and what their behavior is like. And of course, having that opportunity to get out of their kennel, like you mentioned earlier, and participate in this, it reduces their stress so much. So when they do go back to their kennel, they're more calm and relaxed. They can take a nap. They're not spinning and running and jumping. And their stress levels go down, which means their immune system isn't as compromised. They're not as likely to get sick. So it has health benefits as well as behavior benefits. This makes me so happy to hear this because one of the things, you know, I'm not in dog rescue. I see things a little bit from the outside. There are a lot of other shelters in Southern California that don't provide this opportunity. Joan, you had a question about volunteer programs. Well, let me back up for a second about the play groups. I was curious, and I'm sure the audience would be curious, are these play groups, which is a fantastic program, are they in all the seven shelters or are they only in a few of them? They're at all of our animal care centers. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that is great. The volunteer program, do you have it in all seven shelters? And who actually is in charge of the volunteers that come into your shelter to work with the animals? We have volunteers at all seven of our care centers. We also have a really great volunteer team for emergency rescues when we respond to wildfires and mudslides and they go in and pull out the livestock and sometimes dogs and cats that are left at home when the owners are away. And of course they have to be rescued during the emergency and they bring them to an emergency sheltering site. Uh, our volunteers at the animal care centers 
most of our care centers have a dedicated volunteer coordinator at that care center. And then the, they report up to a director of volunteers who oversees the entire program. So we do have the administrative support that's really critical to manage a program like this because there, you know, it's a full-time job, recruiting, training, managing. It's so critical that we do that. Absolutely. Oh my God, this is just fantastic. And I want to ask a question related to the fabulous program, Clear the Shelters. So do the volunteers work a lot on that effort and how successful are Clear the Shelters? Clear the Shelters is an event sponsored by NBC and Telemundo to do a great deal of marketing and advertising and raising public awareness about this program. The purpose is to have a great adoption weekend, and they do this all over the country, and just to really raise awareness of the animals at the care centers and encourage adoptions. Our adoption charges are reduced to just $20 an animal for that purpose, and a few weekends ago when we had Clear the Shelters, we adopted more than 700, actually it was 727 animals because of Clear the Shelters. So it's an absolutely marvelous event, and we look forward to participating every year. I know all of us in a more advocate area of the dog world, per se, are really disgusted with dog fighting. And we always worry when we see free on Craigslist, you know, puppies free and all the rest of that. So how do we as a society protect our animals and what it will take so that when the public does pick up an animal, they're going to be devoted to this animal as best they can and certainly keep it free from harm. Do we worry about some of them ending up in dog fighting rings and how do we prevent that if that's possible? We begin by really encouraging people to be responsible pet owners and by making sure when they get a dog or a cat or any animal and are committed to making a lifetime commitment to that animal, regardless of its medical conditions or temperament issues, you know, there's um, trainers to work with, certainly veterinarians to go to for medical assistance. Too often people give up on an animal because they don't want to pay the medical cost or the animals develop some behavioral problem, probably from lack of training and socialization, and they just give up on it. And that's why some of those animals arrive at our care centers. And these are problems that are easily corrected with the right commitment. So we encourage people to do that. And you know, if they're running into problems, they can always call us or another advocacy group on how to resolve their pet problem or talk to their veterinarian for assistance. But you know, animals do cost money. They need to be prepared to pay for vaccinations and deworming and spay and neuter and the other things that come along with being a responsible pet owner. Certainly, spaying and neutering is one of the most important things people can do to help all animals in our community, because if fewer unwanted animals or homeless animals, the better. And then that gives those other animals that are being transitioned between homes a better chance because there's less competition for homes. And if somebody happens to have a pet that gets pregnant, we really encourage them not to give them away for free in the Craigslist or newspaper or online. You're right. You don't know who you're giving the animals to. It's better to charge a rehoming fee to make sure the people are actually 
adopting and just not trying to get a free animal to use for nefarious purposes, whether it's dog fighting or whatever else they might be interested in. We don't want to see that happen. And to really know who they're giving the animals to. Alternatively, they could bring their animals to an animal care center where we would make sure the animals are vaccinated and spayed and neutered before they're placed into a new home. And we would screen the adopters and they would have to pay the standard adoption fee of $50 for the animal. Well, I really think that's so important that our listeners understand. Joan, you had some thoughts on the outreach and public education. Yeah. Marcia, do you have an outreach program to the public with any educational programs for spay and neuter or anything else that really comes along with getting an animal and taking care of an animal and keeping it safe? We do. We attend a lot of community fairs and community events, and we'll have a table, a booth with a few animals to look at and a lot of educational material on all topics related to animals. And our staff and volunteers at these events will talk to people about responsible pet ownership and safety around animals and answer any questions they might have. Well, that's so important. And, you know, along with that, I have two very close to my heart issues. Uh, One, see how best we can encourage all of our listeners today to really get excited about the idea of fostering a shelter pet. So with that said, tell us what programs you may have already in L.A. County to inspire signing up to be a foster and where could they sign up in L.A. County? Well, yeah, that's one of my favorite programs here. The fostering program makes such a difference in the lives of animals. And we encourage people to volunteer with us to become foster parents. It's a great opportunity to help animals without making a lifetime commitment. But for a short period of time, you can make all the difference in the world to an animal. A lot of our fosters are unweaned or underage puppies and kittens. Sometimes, though, they're adults with perhaps recovering from an injury or an illness, and they just need some time in a foster home to fully recover before they can be offered for adoption. And our volunteers sign up for this. They're fully trained on what to do. For example, if they're raising bottle-fed kittens, we teach about bottle feeding and how to transition them to soft food and, and socialization and so forth. And we provide all the supplies. I think it's a great opportunity for families with children that might want to learn about some responsibility and caretaking and making a difference. It's a great opportunity. And the kids can write stories about the animals or draw pictures about the animals. Obviously, it's the parents that are the responsible adults for the animals. And people don't realize that it is the fosters that our rescues depend on to save the lives of the shelter pets they want to pull. They can be the difference between life and death, right? They really can. Some of these animals that need to be fostered, they cannot stay in an animal care center environment because for health reasons, usually. They may have a compromised immune system or they're just going to be exposed to certain illnesses that they're not going to be able to fight off, especially the unweaned kittens. You know, they really have underdeveloped immune systems and to keep them in a care center, they're going to be exposed to viruses from adult cats and their little bodies aren't able to fight them off. So that's why a foster program 
we get these kittens into a foster home the same day. They don't actually even enter the uh, animal care facility itself. We have separate trailers that are heated and air conditioned and staffed where the kittens can go into a temporary holding cage with blankets and, and heat and everything. So they don't ever enter the care center where they're going to be exposed to illnesses held by adult cats. We even have a program called Lifting Spirits where we hire rideshare services to deliver the kittens to the foster homes because, as you know, the traffic in Los Angeles is so difficult and these kittens need to eat every few hours. In the interest of time, we can get a Lyft ride or an Uber ride to drive the kittens to the foster home immediately, deliver all the supplies, and they can just begin to be getting cared for right away. That's so amazing. Do you do that for puppies too or just kitties? Yeah, we would do it for any animal. I don't think the rideshare services would want to transport an adult animal, but the, the babies are in crates. Joan, you were telling me about a program you discovered that Baldwin Park has for homeless people, right? Right, yeah. I was really surprised about that and quite taken back because I had no idea that this program was going on. And there were a couple of chows that I was asking about and I had people interested in and found out that there's a program for homeless people if they can't take care of their pets they bring them to the shelter and the shelter will keep them until they're able to get back to either relinquish the pet so they can get adopted or they're in a situation where they can get their pet back and uh, take care of it. Yeah, we actually offer that at all of our animal care centers, and we call it COLA High, and what that stands for is COLA stands for the County of Los Angeles, and then High means Homeless Initiative. We do this at all of our care centers because a lot of homeless people become homeless for whatever reason, and they can't find housing because they have pets, and there's fewer options for housing if you're a pet owner. So the pet is keeping them from becoming housed, but of course they love their animals. They're not going to get rid of them, which I completely agree with, so, but they just need temporary assistance. So what we do is we provide temporary care for the animals while they're able to find housing that allows pets and then we can reunite them and even spay or neuter the animals for them if they need and even provide them with some uh, supplies like collars and leashes and some pet food to carry them over. And I just have to take my hat off to you because this program actually brings tears to my eyes. I'm not being dramatic. So Marsha, what does it entail to be a foster if you want to sign up? And are senior citizens, do they make good fosters? You know, I think seniors make wonderful fosters because they're mature and have good judgment. They have free time on their hands. Um, it's a great way to connect with other people. So we've actually done special outreach to senior groups to encourage them to be caretakers for the foster animals. And again, it's not a long-term commitment to the animal. Some seniors don't want to adopt because they don't know if they'll be able to care for an animal in 10 or 15 years as they age. But taking care of some puppies or kittens or just fostering an adult that might need a month recovery while they get over a broken leg or whatever their issue might be, that's certainly something that they are happy to commit to. Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing about it is, and I think this also goes for veterans who 
perhaps have medical issues they're dealing with, but there's nothing more unique than the devotion and the bond that happens between someone perhaps who is living by themselves and an animal that they know they're caring for. Maybe the fact that you're not caring for this animal forever and it doesn't become a scary commitment, but you have to know that by fostering, you are going to be the key to saving this animal's life, right? Right, absolutely. And I think it gives us a sense that we're part of the conversation in a positive way. I've had a lot of people write to me in the past about the Rescue Partner Program. And I know that in the beginning, a lot of people didn't understand it. I want you to explain to our listeners the purpose of a Rescue Partner. And really, for those of our listeners who know nothing about shelters or rescue pets, Just explain why you need to have a clarity of where and who is pulling the dogs out of your shelters and trusting them. Yeah, absolutely. There are many wonderful, committed, and dedicated rescue groups that we work with. We actually work with more than 300 what we call adoption partners. Other people call rescue groups. These are people and organizations that are really trying to make a difference for animals and providing that midway point for animals to leave an animal care center and have some in-between time while they're assessed and marketed and then they're placed into a permanent home. But it's really important for us to carefully screen and manage the adoption partners because we, along with probably most other animal care and control agencies out there have been approached by or have had to intervene with questionable rescue groups that actually have done the animals disservices. And usually it's because they may have started with good intentions, but they got overwhelmed. They did not know how to manage their population and made their decisions more on emotion versus what they can reasonably do with the limited resources they have. And they turn into hoarding situations where the animals are really neglected or in quite a few cases die. So we manage our rescue relationships. They are required to be 501c3 organizations. They're required to be registered with the Secretary of State. They are required to give us monthly reports on the animals they adopt from us. So we know that the animals are being placed and not hoarded and that they're being spayed and neutered if they weren't already. Sometimes they take animals that physically can't be spayed or neutered yet because they're ill or have other issues. So they're allowed to take them unsterilized, but then they have to demonstrate that they did do that before they place the animal to a new home. And let me ask you, are all of your rescue partners in the state of California or are they out of the state? The majority are local because it's just probably more convenient for them. And those that are in another state are probably working with their local care center. But we do have agencies or organizations outside California, particularly uh, specialized rescue breeds, uh, breed specific rescues. What it leads me to worry about is that be, are, are sometimes our shelter pets becoming part of a lottery? It is alarming the amount of donations that can come in. Right, Joan? Right, right. I mean, actually, most of the rescues need the donations. They need the donations to help them facilitate what is needed for the animal, transportation, vetting, 
boarding, paid fosters, and that's where fostering programs come in for the uh, rescue partners. However, it's a big competition to find fosters for your dogs. It's alarming. It's really alarming. There are a lot of rescues that have to learn how to say no. You have to say no sometimes. I mean, you don't want to, but you have to know when you can or cannot intake another animal because you need to have to be able to provide the health, the care, the training, whatever is needed to get it ready for adoption. You know, I think if people think of it like they're a lifeboat and a lifeboat hold eight people, you know, the ninth person is going to tip the lifeboat over and everybody will drown. So you have to say no. Hopefully another lifeboat will pick that person up, but you can't risk everybody's life by taking on one more because then it's a problem for everybody. And, you know, I would also like to mention, I I think it was a good point that you brought up about the potential for what you called the lottery system for the for some rescue groups. And we have seen that where some unscrupulous people raise money and pocket it off the backs of these animals. They may Mm -hmm. never even take possession of the animal. It's not difficult for a person to put together a plea on the internet and a lot of really well-meaning and compassionate people send them money and they can make thousands of dollars doing this without ever taking the animal. Or if they do and the animal really only costs them $500 to repair and they've taken in 3000 that they'll pocket the difference. And the uh, LA County District Attorney's Office actually issued a fraud alert about this last year because there were some very unscrupulous people taking advantage of the compassion of pet lovers out there. So whenever a person is asked to donate to a particular animal or particular cause, they really need to do their research on that person or organization and make sure they're bona fide and there aren't complaints about them. No, I think that's so important. What I look for is where are the photos of these animals that have found homes? That is something to look for and also consistency. Um, I've seen one rescue in particular kept showing the same sick looking cat over and over with different names. So each time they were raising funds over what they claimed was a new cat. It was really the same cat over and over. So this leads me to my pet topic, the seniors. And what the problem is, is that the family just could not afford to care for him or her anymore. So Marsha, do we have any programs for the senior pets? What can you tell our listeners? What can we do to try to mitigate the amount of senior pets that are surrendered to our animal control facilities every year? Well, there's a few things I would recommend. One is to get pet health care insurance for the animals. Um, And the sooner you start, the better, because that can help you as the animal ages with the expenses of caring for a senior. Because as you know, there's going to be more medication needed for pain control or any diseases they may develop along the line. So having that financial support is really going to be helpful. And I think that's probably the main reason people surrender seniors is because they are more expensive to care for and they don't have the means. So having uh, insurance on hand beforehand would be really helpful. There's also something called care credit, which is a credit card you can use for 
veterinary services that does not charge any interest as long as you're making monthly payments. So that's a way to get through a particularly expensive situation that may arise for a senior animal. And then there's some care issues that come up with seniors. Uh, perhaps they can't walk as well any longer or they become incontinent and it's difficult to manage a house pet that's incontinent. But you know, all I can say is this animal gave you their complete love and devotion their entire life. And I think they deserve to be paid back with your love and devotion, even if it's inconvenient and difficult. You know, amen to that, really. And I think that we all are in the same boat in terms of how much we love our animals. I do think there are the isolated cases I have heard where someone will bring a senior pet to the shelter and then want a puppy. And so I'm saying this to the public. If there's one thing you do after listening to this conversation, besides signing up with LA County to be a foster, I'm really urging you that if you know of a senior pet or you have a senior pet, it's the little things you can do to just adapt as they are growing older. You know, we only have them for a short period of time. Are all of the animals that come into your shelter available to be either adopted or rescued? Or are there on occasion cases where LA County has to step in and why is that? Well, we make available for adoption all animals that are not suffering from an irremediable illness or injury. If they're in pain or very ill and it can't be rehabilitated, it's not fair for that animal because they're going to continue to suffer. The other situation is that we will not place dangerous dogs to the public. And these are animals that have demonstrated that they're unsafe to be around people or other animals, either through prior attacks or by their behavior at the animal care center. Some animals that we're not sure about, we may place with a rescue group with the understanding that there's going to be behavior modification and assessment prior to that animal being placed into a, a permanent home. Because we know that dogs don't always show their true personalities at an animal care center because it's just a strange environment for them. But they could be also masking dangerous behavior that we don't see until they're out and become comfortable in a home. And then their dominance or unpredictability may come forward. So we don't always know for sure. But if it's an animal that came in because it was involved in a very serious, unprovoked attack. We can't place an animal like that out into the community because, you know, we love all animals and we don't want to see another animal harmed by this dog. As we network, you know, we do see that oftentimes LA County will provide the necessity of an indemnity waiver. Is that the right term? We do, and it's to a rescue group. We don't do those to the public because the general public, we don't know what their level of experience is handling those animals. Both rescue groups, there are adoption partners that we've worked with. We have many trusted adoption partners that are sophisticated handling animals with challenging temperaments. And we know that they're going to be responsible and not place that animal into a home if after working with it, they discover that the animal really cannot be rehabilitated, but it gives the animal a second chance. And it can get months with that rescue group until 
they've made a decision one way or the other. So LA County being one of the most modern systems in the country and certainly in the state, I get email about this. So let me bring this part up. So euthanizing, by and large, I know that throughout the years, there are certain states that are not euthanizing in the most humane ways. LA County always euthanizes medically, correct? And uh, it's without any of the archaic contraptions that we've heard about. I know that Utah still sometimes uses the gas chambers, some of the rural shelters in the South and Hartstick, all those horrible things. LA County, we can go on record, is always humanely euthanizes, correct? Yes, that's correct. We euthanize with um, lethal injection of sodium pentobarbital. It's considered the most humane and painless way to euthanize an animal. That's how it's done at a private veterinary clinic. Okay, that's important. I want to say that there is a program that LA County does that I love, and I only wish every other shelter system as large as yours would do that, where let's say one of your shelters or two or three of your shelters are very full to capacity. So you do sometimes allow the animal to go to a different shelter that's not as full, correct? Oh, absolutely. It's actually quite routine for us to do that. Urban shelters do have more difficulty with space because of the number of animals they're getting in. And they can send them to either our Agora Hills or our Castaic Animal Care Centers that have more room. And both of those have very high adoption rates. We also participate in transport programs where we send animals across the country to receiving shelters where the pet overpopulation problem in those communities has largely been solved and they're able to take in animals from outside their jurisdiction. Just um, since I can tell you since 2014, we've sent almost 24,000 animals on our transports to agencies around the country and Canada. Um, And they're transported largely through the ASPCA. They have a transport program that they use with modern vehicles, with heating and air conditioning and so forth. Sometimes animals are put on planes with private pilots that are happy to donate their time and services to fly the animals somewhere. And it's a real win-win at the receiving shelters they uh, put out an advertisement, uh, you know, social media, letting people know they're going to be getting a transport in of 30 animals and people come and line up and adopt them right off of the transport vehicle. You know, this is an America Speaks First because I want to broadcast this over and over again. I love that program. Bravo and hats off to you, Marsha. You know, I don't think we realize it unless you dive into the world of animal control and shelter pets that this is an enormous issue in our society today. So I have one optimistic note to end on, and that is... I get a sense from you what your immediate goals and your hopes are, but how do you see yourself and your shelter system in 10 years? What would your greatest hope be that you may not have implemented yet that you would like to see? That's a great question, and I have two great hopes. The first is stabilizing our budget. Right now, $57 million sounds like a lot of money, but it's not nearly enough to do the programs that we want to be able to do. We're very understaffed, so that's one goal is to get our budget right-sized. 
The second is the biggest program that's near and dear to my heart and that will probably take 10 years to complete. This is either re renovating or replacing our animal care centers. We have seven. One, our Palmdale Care Center is very nice and modern. It opened a couple of years ago. Other than that, our most recently built care center was in the 1970s and Downey was built in uh, 1946. Although we've made some facility improvements along the years to keep them operational, the overall footprint of the shelters is not in accordance with modern animal sheltering practices. So we really need to replace or renovate six of our seven facilities. We just completed a master plan for facilities and that's going to be brought before the Board of Supervisors within a month or two. And hopefully the county can find a way to finance and undertake the work on these projects. I don't think the average public has an idea where their tax dollars, if you live in L.A. County, may go and how much more is needed. And lastly, you have a wonderful program when a shelter pet is at risk of being euthanized, and that is the 72-hour, 48-hour, 24-hour alerts. And this is a shout-out to you, Marcia, for those alerts. They save so many lives. Your various shelters spend a lot of time doing this every day because I get the emails. <laughs> right. Yeah, our staff is very, very committed to getting animals out alive whenever they can through their partnerships, through the alerts and so forth. And our rescue partners, I believe, appreciate this service because then they know who's at the greatest risk because they have limited resources too. So they know who they can focus on right away. I'd like to say this is the first and what we could perhaps hope for would be a repeated opportunity to have you on as a guest. This is me speaking to all of you out there. Please, if you are trying to fill your heart with devotion and you are looking for an animal to bring into your family, please go to your local shelter and visit the animals in the shelter and spend time with them. Volunteer for a shelter sign up to be a foster. You have no idea how it will change your life, really. And most important, don't go to a pet store to buy an animal. There are the most exquisite, wonderful, loving animals of every kind in your local shelter. Is that right, Marcia? Absolutely. Any day of the week when I walk through my care centers, I could easily take 20 or 30 of the animals home. They're, and they're all different. They're different sizes different breeds, but they're just all wonderful and they have great personalities. And I think anybody who would visit a care center and see that would find the same thing. Marcia, this was such a great opportunity today for our listeners to get an important sense of the enormous responsibility you have to be in charge of one of the largest animal care facilities in the country. It literally takes a village to save every single dog or cat that finds themselves in one of your shelters. The reality of how many dogs and cats who are either strays or most regrettably surrendered to your facilities for a list of reasons is mind-boggling. I think we had a good chance in this interview for our listeners to learn of the many important programs L.A. County has in place with the goal of giving these dogs and cats a second chance. 
I can't imagine the job of budgeting every expense that is necessary in order to provide all that is needed for the care of all the hundreds of animals that come in on a weekly basis. To everyone who works in rescue and the shelters, each animal's life is important. And knowing what I know and how difficult it is to save these lives, I think it bears repeating that it truly does take this village to save just one life of a dog or a cat. And for those of you who have no experience in rescue, let me tell you, this is an exhausting task, physically as well as emotionally. To all of us who care about our shelter pets, this episode, our Thanksgiving episode, is dedicated to our shelter pets and to all of you who work tirelessly to save their lives. To all the shelter systems in California and across our nation, to the rescues, this is a heroic job every day. To me, the most important takeaway from today's episode is that bringing an animal into your home is to assume complete responsibility for this animal. Even if there is a move in your future, you should do whatever you can to not leave your pet behind. And sadly, let me just remark again about our seniors. As our pets become older, they deserve our care and our devotion. As we enter the holiday season, please visit your local shelter, go volunteer, become a foster, adopt, help your local rescues, and most important, never buy a pet from a pet store or a breeder. Again, I want to invite everyone to subscribe to America Speaks podcast. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Anchor, and Libsum. And please get in touch with us. This is your time to be loud, angry, active, and heard. Let us know if you have subjects that we have not covered that you would like to hear about. And a big announcement today. You can now find my forthcoming book, We Protest, Fighting for What We Believe In, on Amazon under Rizzoli Books in a pre-sale offer before it is released on March 10th. And stay tuned for all the exciting news on my book signings, speaking engagements, and exhibitions across the country. We are a powerful voice, each and every one of us. And if you protested for anything in the past three years, I bet you may find yourself in my book. And lastly, I want to thank James Koblenz and Kim Langbacker, without whom this episode would not be possible. And remember... America Speaks believes every one of us has a story. And a voice. Oh.